Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil alemin. Vessalatu vesselamu ala seyyidina Muhammed ve ala alihi ve ashabihi ecma'in. Amma ba'd. Elhamdülillah we continue with uh, the lesson on ulumul Quran, the sciences related to various aspects of the knowledge of Quran. Last week we discussed aspects related to wahi which is revelation and the importance uh, of revelation in the life of the success of a human being. We said these three things, they are interlinked. Uh, one is the faculties of a human being, and then we have the intellect and the mind, and thereafter we have wahi. So a person's faculties would assist him in being able to determine certain apparent things of this world. Uh, with his eyes, he would be able to determine the features of an individual in front of him. Um, but if he wishes to do that with his mind and his eyes closed, he would not be able to use his mind to determine the complexion or the features of an individual because that's not the work of the mind. It requires the input of the, of the faculties and the quality of seeing and sight. Thereafter, to be able to determine what is wanted for the success of this human being, what would make him successful in this world and in the year after is where revelation comes into effect. Uh, so last week we ended on this particular point of the types of wahi, revelation. There are two types of, of revelation. The first on the right hand side you see is matlu, which comes from the word tilawa. Tilawa means recitation. That revelation which is recited, which is generally, generally referred to as the recitation of the Qur'an. As you can see below that. Al-Qur'an is the revelation and the wahi which is recited. And its recitation is a form of ibadah. On the left hand side you'll see ghayr matlu. It is also wahi and revelation. But it is not recited. So this is, would be referring to the various types of hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And you see they are divided into two types. The first is the hadith, the general hadith, the definition of which we will discuss in this lesson inshallah. And you have al-hadith al-qudsi which we'll also define and explain in this lesson, inshallah. These are the two types of revelation which are linked to hadith. It's also a revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But its function is not linked to recitation. So in salah you would recite the Qur'an as a form of worship, but you cannot recite the hadith or the hadith qudsi in salah as a form of worship, although it is revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The definition of the Qur'an, which we touched on last week as well, Al-Munazzal ala al-Rasul al-Maktubi fil masahif al-Manquuli ilayna laqlan mutawatiran bila shubuhatin. The Qur'an is that book which was sent down upon Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Al-Munazzal ala al-Rasul al-Maktub, written in the masahif. Masahif are the scriptures or the, in the book form which we have in front of us. المنقول إلينا لقلا متواترا It has been transmitted by us by tawatur And the meaning of the word tawatur It means it is such a strong and authentic source of transmission That in every generation from the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Up to our existence So many people have transmitted this particular thing That it's impossible that they could have fabricated it Or manufactured it from their own And attributed it to Allah So it's not like one particular statement where it's possible that somebody fabricated it and said that it was the word of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So, the word mutawatir. And when something is established in this form of tawatur, 
which means with great certainty, with uh, such unanimity in every generation, then it's impossible to deny its authenticity, even if you haven't studied it or witnessed it. It's like uh, if a person hasn't been to a particular country and somebody comes to us and says, you know, um, there's a place called America, but that's just uh, fiction. There's no real place called America. We'll say, you know what, even if I haven't seen it, but the abundance of information that has been transmitted from generation to generation and we witness and we see footage and we also hear information thereof, it's impossible to deny. deny. This is called tawatur. But so many people have unanimously transmitted one particular thing. And this is how the Qur'an has been transmitted from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Sahaba radiallahu anhum in such large numbers transmitted the knowledge of the Qur'an to the next generation and their numbers increased as the Muslim population increased. Without any doubt, bila shubuhatin, there's absolutely no doubt. From the first letter of the Qur'an, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, till minal jinnati wal nas, every letter is intact and was transmitted in exactly the same way. And we added to this also, um, and the Quran is that which we have been instructed to recite as a form of ibadah. So whether a person understands its recitation or not, like the, the famous quotation of Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal, the fourth of the great Imams, uh, he said he saw in a dream that he, he asked, he posed the question uh, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala about the recitation of Quran. Does, does a person receive the reward? based on how much he understands or merely just reciting. And he was told that the reward of the recitation is an independent reward. Just reciting if without understanding is also uh, an instruction and command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which yields great reward. Now, we said there are two types of wahi. One was the wahi matru which is recited and that is the Qur'an. On the other side we had the wahi which is not recited, and the first of that category was al-hadith al-qudsi. This is a word we commonly do here, hadith qudsi. We hear the word hadith, and uh, we will define it like I said. But now hadith qudsi is ma udifa ila nabiy sallallahu alaihi wasallam wa asnada ila rabbihi aw wa usnida ila rabbihi. That revelation, which is attributed to Rasul to Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam attributes the meaning directly to Allah. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said. But the difference between this and, and uh, Qur'an, as we will see further on, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam starts by saying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said. And that particular statement is actually revealed to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he expresses it in his own words. Whereas... The primary difference between this and the revelation of the Qur'an is the words itself have been given directly via Jibreel salam, and you, have, you are bound to, to express and inform the ummah of these particular words and the meaning which is contained therein. So the hadith Qudsi, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam starts by saying that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, or he says, Yaqulullah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The word Qudsi comes from the word Quds. Like we say, Al-Quds, the, the sanctified place in Jerusalem. Al-Quds means sanctity, something which has been given a, a special status by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So because this hadith is attributed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the, mean, the meaning is being attributed to Allah, it is titled Hadith Qudsi. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said such and such, we, we title that hadith as Al-Hadith Al-Qudsi. And there we see um, the words and meaning from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So other words and meaning from Allah 
Or is it only the meaning which is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? We will see as we go along now. The differences between Hadith al-Qudsi and Qur'an. So the first point here in this section is the Qur'an's meaning and words are from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whereas a Hadith al-Qudsi, the meanings are from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the words are not restricted as revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you will find that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Yaqulullah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ibadi, O my servants, tafarrag li ibadati, take out time for my ibadah, amlak sadraka ghinan wa asudda faqrak. I will fill your, your heart with, with independence and you will be free of the need of creation and I will distance you from poverty. And if you do not worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala correctly, then I will fill your heart with desire and need. You will always feel that you need something and you will always be in a state of, of wanting and poverty, which is a spiritual type of poverty. So this is an example of a hadith of Qudsi where the revelation was given by Allah, but Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa expressed this in his own, in own words. So this, this type of words cannot be used in salah. We say that Allah said, so therefore it can be used uh, as a form of ibadah because there is a distinct difference between the two. One of the, or the second big difference between Qur'an and the Hadith Qudsi, the Qur'an is completely mutawatir. In other words, we explain the, the form of transmission in every generation which is done with such a large amount of transmitters that it's impossible that they fabricated it. This is how the Qur'an has been preserved. Whereas the Hadith Qudsi is sometimes transmitted through a chain of transmission with one individual. Sometimes there's been a discussion with regards to the strength of that particular individual which we see. Uh, weak, strong, and authentic. This is terminology used for hadith. Uh, just on this point, when we say hadith is weak or it is strong, no words of Rasulullah sallallahu are weak. When we refer to weakness and, and strength in the words of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, it actually refers to the chain of transmission that was used to present those particular words to us. So, for example, you'll find Imam al-Bukhari, the famous commentator on hadith. Um, he will quote a hadith and he says that I am quoting from this person, from that person, from the Sahabi, from Rasulullah And then somebody would ask him, okay, why haven't you transmitted this hadith with another chain of transmission? He says, no, there's one individual that there's some defect we find in his character and therefore that chain of transmission is a weak chain of transmission. So the, hadith, the words of the hadith are still the words of Rasulullah but the weakness is actually attributed to the chain of transmission. And Imam al-Bukhari was very particular. This is why his book is known as the most authentic book after the Qur'an. Because at one stage he went to, he heard of a particular scholar and he wanted to narrate a hadith from him. And he went to him and he saw the man was standing, in, he was standing outside his house and he was trying to call his horse. And he had his shirt out as if he was holding something to draw the horse closer to him. And as the horse was coming, he dropped his shirt and he grabbed hold of the horse. So Imam al-Bukhari said, if this man can deceive an animal, what stops him from deceiving us in his transmitting of the words of Rasulullah sallallahu So he said, I'm not going to make this person my teacher. So Hadith Qudsi, because it's not transmitted with tawatur, with a chain of transmission of unanimity and with such large numbers, which cannot be disputed, it's got sometimes one particular chain of transmission. So therefore those words will be used to Hadith Qudsi, and this is also a big difference between uh, the two types of revelation. So... Although Hadith Qudsi is attributed to Allah, the way it reaches us, the way it reaches us is not through tawatur and the strength of authenticity which is required in Qur'an. The third thing is that uh, the Qur'an's wording 
miraculous in nature. Now this is, I think this will be a whole lesson on its own. Because every letter in the, in the Quran, every letter has got, its, has got some beauty and some message hidden within it. I'll just give you one example. Allah subhanahu sometimes in the tone of the letters which have been selected in the verse, the meaning of the verse is in, enhanced and beautified. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Muzammil, which means that most certainly, O Muhammad, we will thrust upon you a heavy word, the responsibility of, of wahi and revelation. But in the words used to convey this message, Allah says, Inna sanulqi. Nulqi in Arabic has got the qaf letter, which is also hard. Alayka is also a hard letter. Qawlan is also a hard letter. Thaqila also means heavy and it's got a hard. So the letters in the verse also gives an indication to the message which has been given through that particular verse. In the days of Rasulullah sallallahu initial stages in Mecca Mukarramah, the Quraysh were becoming fed up with uh, how the effect of the words of the recitation of Rasulullah sallallahu was having on, on the women and the children and the people of, of Mecca Mukarramah. So they, they requested a person who was one of the masters of the Arabic language. His name was Abdullah bin, bin Muqaffa'. They said, we'll give you whatever you want, but try to prepare some verses which resemble the verses of the, of the revelation which Muhammad is presenting. So he said, okay. So he stayed in his house for six months. And we're not talking of the people of our time who know a few words of Arabic, you know, kefa haluka, and uh, you know, when you're going to the taxi, uh, you know, come, come to read, and that type of Arabic which generally we know. This is the, the, the Arabic of the classical Arabic of that time in which the poets would challenge another poet that I will say poetry from sunset to sunrise without repeating the same word twice. So that level of Arabic. And uh, so he's six, six months he stays and he prepares something. And as he's going now to the congregation that's waiting for him, he passes by one of the Sahaba's houses where one of the children was reciting a verse of the Quran, one, one verse. وَقِيلَ يَا أَرْضُ بْلَعِي مَاءَكِ وَيَا سَمَاءُ أَقْلِعِي وَغِيضَ الْمَاءُ وَقُضِيَ الْأَمْرُ وَاسْتَوَتْ عَلَى الْجُودِيِّ وَقِيلَ بُعْدًا لِلْقَوْمِ الظَّالِمِينَ One verse. The meaning of this verse is actually, it's part of the story of Sayyidina Nuh السلام, where uh, the floods came and the nation was destroyed. And now after the abundant water, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala announces how everything stopped. So there's water coming from above, from below, all over. There's a great flood. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَقِيلَ It was said, يَا أَرْضُ O earth, swallow your water. And O heavens, stop. The water dissipated. The end of their story. And the announcement was made that woe unto the wrongdoers and the oppressors. So he had this one verse and he tore up whatever he had prepared in the six months. He says, I'm unable to do anything which can... This one verse, and we recite this verse and to us it doesn't really... So... Also, amongst the miraculous nature of the, of the Qur'an is the wording of the Qur'an. If we, uh, the more we recite and the more we expose ourselves to the, the sciences of the ulum al-Qur'an, we will understand and realize the beauty. There was a famous scholar, he was a student of Imam al-Shafi'i, his name was Imam al-Asma'i. Uh, he was in the, the period of the Banu Abbas, the second century of Islam. So he was... Um, reciting the Quran in the Masjid of Rasulullah and he came, he read the verse the verse of the cutting the hand of the person who steals 
that the male or the female, if they steal, then فَقْطَعُوا أَيْدِيَهُمَا Cut their hands جَزَاءً بِمَا كَسَبَا It is the, the rule of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala نَكَالًا مِنَ اللَّهِ As a punishment for what they had done جَزَاءً بِمَا كَسَبَا نَكَالًا مِنَ اللَّهِ وَاللَّهُ عَزِيزٌ حَكِيمٌ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is عزيز and حكيم عزيز means uh, mighty and حكيم means the possessor of all wisdom but when he was reciting at the end of the verse instead of saying wallahu azizun hakim he said wallahu ghafurur rahim which is also we know is the attributes of allah ghafurur rahim is also the attribute of allah azizun hakim is also the attribute of allah ghafurur rahim means the most forgiving most merciful so when he recited incorrectly instead of azizun hakim he said ghafurur rahim there was a bedouin next to him and he tapped him and he said brother kalamu man hadha whose words are you reciting he said kalamullah i'm reciting the words of allah he said, no, that is not the kalam of Allah. So he said, MashaAllah, are you a scholar? He said, no. He says, who student are you? He said, I'm, I'm a farmer. So he looked in the, in the Mus'haf and he realized that he read Ghafurur Rahim instead of Azizun Hakim. So he said, how did you know? He said, because it makes sense in Arabic if Allah is giving such a stern warning of the amputation of a hand for a wrong deed, he's not going to put the attribute of Ghafurur Rahim. He'll put something which explains why he has given such a stern warning, uh, punishment and he's got the authority to do so because he's Azim, Aziz, which is a mighty, and Hakim is the all-wise. This is why he gave the instruction. He wouldn't say Ghafurur Rahim when he's giving us such a stern warning. So the words in the Quran also, they, they are of a very miraculous nature. And um, even the, the opening letters in the Quran, Alif, Lam, Mim, Kaf, Haya, Ain, Sad, which are known as the independently recited letters, Huruf, Maqatta'at, these are also miraculous in nature. And in fact, this was one of the things that overwhelmed the, the, the mushrikeen and the Quraysh because it was as if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was telling them, Alif, Lam, Mim. This is now the book in which there's absolutely no doubt. But the message to them was, if you want to benefit from this book, you need to ensure that you express your ignorance. So when you say Alif, Lam, Mim, everybody, every commentator of the Quran says, Allahu a'lamu bi muradihi. Allah knows the meaning of this. We do not know the meaning. Before I can enter into the Quran, I need to express that I am, I am ignorant. Then only I will benefit from this book in which there is no doubt. So this is the, the miraculous nature within the wording of the Quran. Whereas Hadith Qudsi, on the other hand, because the chain of transmission is not as strong and the words have been presented by Rasulullah sallallahu the miraculous nature obviously differs. The second point with regards to the, the words of the Qur'an, you cannot paraphrase the Qur'an or, and transmit it. So you can't, if a person knows Arabic, you can't say, okay, I'll make a similar type of sentence and recite that as a verse of the Qur'an. There was a famous uh, scholar, a non-Muslim Arabic scholar, and he met one of the ulama of Al-Azhar many years ago in a conference, and he said, I'm surprised that you are so good with your Arabic, yet you want to follow the Qur'an and the same teachings that these millions of simple Muslims are following. So the, the sheikh said to him, okay, you are also an expert in the Arabic language as a non-Muslim. I'm going to ask you to present one verse to express a particular meaning, and then we'll see how the Quran expresses the same meaning. So he said, okay, and he accepted the challenge. And he said, okay, say in your own words that Jahannam is, uh, is very vast. So he prepared like 10 sentences, uh, he made 10 sentences that it's got limitless or it's, it's, it's got uh, uh, very vast boundaries and it is very big, etc., etc. So after he presented his sentences, he said, okay, these are your sentences. Let's see what the Quran says about the vastness of Jahannam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Qaf, 
يوم نقول لجهنم هل امتلأت وتقول هل من مزيد الله سبحانه وتعالى says on the day of Qiyamah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will address Jahannam and say are you full and Jahannam will say bring more bring more so when he said when he saw this he says this verse can only be with the authority of that being who created Jahannam who knows exactly how vast it is that it cannot, it cannot be filled unless Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants it to be filled so we cannot take a verse of the Quran and say okay I know Arabic let me paraphrase yes in the hadith sometimes you will find uh, if a person recites the hadith and maybe forgets a word in the end you'll hear the, the ulama saying oh kama qala rasulullah oh kama qala means or oh, something similar to that which rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam had uttered but you can't do that with the quran and recite surah fatiha and say oh kama qala allah or oh, anyway which is similar to what allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has stated and then allah subhanahu wa ta'ala challenged the arabs with the eloquence of of the quran and uh, up to this day uh, there is nobody who who faced those who 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 pretended to, to have the ability to challenge the Qur'an also, uh, they were unable to do so. They presented such feeble sentences which even their own people mocked at and, and laughed at. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, قُلْ الْإِنسُ وَالْجِنْ If all jinnkind and mankind unanimously agree to try to uh, pre, uh, present something which is equal to the Qur'an, they will be unable to do so. Even if they are given multitudes of support of their own kind in the form of jinn and human beings, they will be unable to present anything similar to, to the Qur'an. And the fourth difference between uh, Quran and Hadith al-Qudsi is the recitation of Quran is ibadah and it is recited in salah unlike the Hadith al-Qudsi and we've touched on that. Now we have the other type of wahi which is not recited. So we said wahi recited which is the Quran then the wahi which is uh, not recited divided into two which is Hadith al-Qudsi and we, d- we explain the difference between Hadith qudsi and the Quran because they seem to be similar, similar in nature being attributed to Allah but there's a difference in the authenticity and the chain of transmission. The second type of wahi and revelation which is not recited is the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So there are two definitions for hadith. First is a definition given by the fuqaha and the jurist. And that is whatever is attributed to Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, be it in speech, actions, or tacit approval. In other words, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you hear the hadith, قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ That Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم had said إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَّاتِ That actions are judged according to their intentions. So that is, that will be counted as a hadith of Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم. It's also wahi. It is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But he is not starting the expression by saying that Allah said. He is now expressing it from his side. And therefore the distinction is made between this hadith and the hadith al-Qudsi. The action of Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم is also counted as part of the hadith. The way Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam spoke, the way he conducted himself at home, the way he ate, the way he walked, all these things that have been documented in the books of hadith will also be included in the, under the, the heading of hadith. Or the tacit approval. Tacit approval means something is done in front of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and he doesn't object to it being done. And uh, for example, Rasulullah is performing salah and after ruku he says Sami'allahu liman hamidah and he hears somebody saying Rabbana lakal hamd hamdan kathiran tayyiban mubarakan fih which he didn't teach this particular person so after salah Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam asked manil qail who's the person who said those words the sahabi felt a bit hesitant he thought he'd done something wrong and then eventually when he presented himself Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said I'm asking because more than 30 malaika were rushing towards him to write the reward of just that one tasbih. 
he said, Rabbana lakal hamd, hamdan kathiran tayyiban mubarakan fi. Hamdan kathiran tayyiban mubarakan fi. More than 30 malaika. So that was now endorsed by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And um, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa didn't tell him that, you know, this is now a, a bid'ah or something new that you've innovated, but Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam endorsed it. So the endorsing of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam establishes something as a hadith, and therefore it will be practiced upon by the ummah as well. Then we have the second definition of the muhaddithun. So these are two words, fuqaha and jurist. Maybe I should just touch on who they are. Uh, it's two categories of people whose fields of speciality is linked. The muhaddithun are the scholars of hadith, like the Imam al-Bukhari, Imam Muslim, the common names that we do here. Their function is basically to transmit the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with a chain of transmission. So every hadith in Bukhari, for example, the author says, I transmit this hadith from my teacher, from his teacher, from his teacher to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The muhaddithin generally, they transmit the hadith. And the fuqaha and the jurists, they are transmitters of hadith, but they are specialists in understanding the application of the hadith. So one is knowing the text, and one is to know where the text is applied. So the jurist refers to like the four imams, Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam Malik, Imam Shafi'i, Imam Ahmad. They are known as the fuqaha, the jurists. And these jurists, they have the hadith in front of them, and they, would, they know exactly which hadith applies to which particular action. How do we perform the two rakats of salah? How do we know that this is not uh, an obligation in salah? It's merely recommend, recommended. This is the work of the jurist. So they are more qualified than the muhaddithun. The fuqaha are actually higher in their rank than the muhaddithin. This is why, and I'm just tempted to, to digress a little bit, why people say, we've got Bukhari, but why are you following Abu Hanifa? This is an objection made nowadays. We've got Bukhari in front of us, but why are you following Imam? Abu Hanifa, um, the reason is that Imam Bukhari is a transmitter of hadith, and Imam Abu Hanifa is the specialist who tells you how to apply the hadith. That's one. Number two is that Imam Bukhari came more than 150 years after Imam Abu Hanifa. So the chain of transmission between Abu Hanifa and Rasulullah sallallahu might have three or four people, where Imam Bukhari will have seven or eight. So sometimes in Bukhari there might be a hadith, and Imam Bukhari says that I, I, I'm not comfortable with one particular transmitter, in the link, but that doesn't affect Imam Abu Hanifa because his link is different to Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So the objection of using uh, Bukhari against Imam Abu Hanifa or against any of the four Imams is actually um, not academic to be to be specific and accurate. So the Fuqaha, Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal, the fourth Imam, the junior of the four Imams, his student asked him that, uh, "What does it take to become a faqih, one of the Fuqaha, a jurist?" If I know 100,000 hadith with the chain of transmission, would that qualify me as a jurist? And this is especially for us as students of deen, for us to know how little we know in comparison to these people. And we do find people nowadays who say, no, no, we also men, they also men, we can read the Arabic and we got the translation, so we're equal to them. So a student asked him that uh, if I know 100,000 hadith of by heart, that is the text of the hadith and the chain of transmission, would that qualify me as a faqih, as a jurist? He said, no. He said, what about 200,000? He said, no. He came up to 400,000. Then Imam Ahmed said, yeah, perhaps now he might start qualifying to be a jurist. So you can imagine the rank of, of these scholars and how uh, foolish it is for a person who doesn't understand their rank to be able to object against them, not realizing that he is uh, unaware of the reality of their, of their status. So the muhaddithun 
their definition of, in, of hadith, they would add the outward features of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam's appearance and character, which we call shama'il. Like the book, the famous book which has been translated also, the shama'il of Imam al-Tirmidhi, in which all the hadith have been compiled describing Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, that he had 14 strands of white hair on his temple, and his, his chest and his stomach were always in line till he left this world, and Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, how his eyebrows were shaped, and what was the shape of his mouth, and how his teeth would shine, and there would be a gap between his central incisors, that when he would speak, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, people would see a light emanating from inside his mouth, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. When he would walk, he would lift his feet and walk, he wouldn't drag his feet, and Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam would uh, speak to somebody, he would turn his full attention to that person. He wouldn't just make salam and leave his hand and his face somewhere else. It was a sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This is called uh, the shama'il. The, the beautiful characteristics of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So the muhaddithin they include this. The jurist, because the functionality of what they deal with, their subject matters got to do with actions. Your salah, your zakah, your hajj. So that is actually related to speech, actions, and the approval of Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam. His actual features don't play a role in, in their subject matter. And this is where the muhaddithin they add this uh, to include in the, the topic of hadith, just to ensure that uh, it's not overlooked. Then we have now the differences. We did the difference between Hadith Qudsi and Quran, which is basically through the, the chain of transmission. Uh, what are the differences between Hadith Qudsi and Hadith itself? So we'll just we're we'll recapping some of the points. Number one, Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam attributes Hadith al Qudsi to Allah, whereas in a normal Hadith, Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam is either expressing or he's giving approval or he's demonstrating something personally and directly to the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. Uh, the second is the words of general ahadith from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, as we explained. The third difference between hadith Qudsi and hadith, usually hadith al-Qudsi speak about matters of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's greatness. Like the example I gave in the beginning where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, do this particular thing and you will be rewarded in such a way. And matters such as fear and hope where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, O son of Adam, if you commit sins which reach up to the heaven and you make istighfar, then I will forgive your sins. So a hadith of encouragement and uh, sometimes warnings from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the other big difference between hadith Qudsi and the general hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi is that the hadith al Qudsi are relatively few in number, very few in comparison to the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi in which instructions and ahkam and rulings are explained. The Hadith Al-Qudsi are all speech. So Hadith Qudsi, unlike the normal Hadith which has the speech, the actions of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and his tacit approval, Hadith Qudsi is all words Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that Allah has said this particular thing. Hadith Al-Qudsi can't be demonstrated because it is just merely information given via Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam from Allah. Okay, the next um, part of our lesson is a commonly posed question. Quran only. Why do we have to follow our hadith? Isn't the Quran enough? Okay, so this is uh, the era in which the era in which we are living, and these questions sometimes are posed, especially for those of our young brothers who are interacting with people from other faiths. And these questions might come to our minds, and it's important for us to to at least address them. So, it's not something that was invented now. That should the Quran be the only source of our information and our our deen should be the only basis of our practice. Um, the origins of this movement, in other words, of only restricting yourself to Quran, no hadith, you don't worry about anything else, just the Quran, 
It can be traced all the way back to Iraq during the, the dynasty of the Banu Abbas in the second century. This was actually a period in which, let's say technically, technically before that, because obviously shaitan was also in existence before that. So this type of shaitani thoughts would have been there even before. But in the second and third century, as we could see, the person by the name of Ibrahim al-Nadham. So he was from a sect called the Mu'tazila. Just briefly to, to share with you who the Mu'tazila, in English they are called the Mu'tazilites. This is a, a sect that developed in the second century of Islam. And uh, just to try to be very brief, how they developed was basically, you know, in the initial stages of Islam, Rasulullah sallallahu was in Medina Munawwara, and the Khulafa, Sayyidina Abu Bakr, Sayyidina Umar were in Medina. Whoever came to Islam, they came to Medina, they saw a beautiful environment of Islam. Whatever the belief structure was, it was easy to follow. But as Islam expanded and, and, and grew, the, the capital moved to Iraq. And some parts were in Iraq, some were in Syria. This now became the focal point of the Islamic world. And the Muslims now were exposed to people coming from the east, whether it be India or whether it be China, and they all had their own philosophies, they had their preconceived understanding of what Allah is, what a deity is, what God is, their own understanding, they had their own philosophies. Similarly, from the West you had the Greek philosophers, you had those from Rome who are very highly qualified and intellectual. And now they're coming into contact with the, with the Muslims of, of, of Iraq and Bilad al-Sham and Syria, the Levant as it was called. So now, merely referring to your text as a proof for your belief is no longer sufficient. You can tell a Muslim who's coming to Medina, Allahu khaliqu kulli shay, Allah has created everything and this is what we believe. It's easy for them to understand. But now a person's coming with Greek philosophy and he says, you tell him, Allahu khaliqu kulli shay. He says, I don't, I don't believe in the verse of the Quran. You need to explain to me why you're worshipping Allah and why you have this particular structure of belief. So there was a need now for them to use an intellectual type of argumentation to present the message of Islam. So initially it was a good intention that you're using an intellectual philosophical type of explanation to present your argument of how your belief is structured in Islam. But this group of the Mu'tazila, they went to the extent that they started giving preference to the intellect even over the text of the Quran. So if something didn't make sense to them, they would say, hey, Okay, this verse doesn't make sense to me, so therefore we'll cancel the verse and we'll apply whatever our mind seems to be most suitable. And from this particular sect was Ibrahim al-Nadham, uh, who uh, was one of the people who felt that there's no need for any extension of an explanation to the Qur'an. Whatever is in the Qur'an is sufficient for us, and therefore uh, we just need to follow that. Whereas it's not the case, because there are many... In fact, the Qur'an itself has multiple verses in which it tells you of another type of revelation which does exist, which we refer to as the wahi of the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for example, the, the verse of the Qibla, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam now to turn towards uh, Masjid al-Haram. And Allah says that we, um, in the same verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that you were instructed to turn away from your previous uh, Qibla, which was Masjid al-Aqsa. But now in the verse of the Qur'an, Masjid al-Aqsa is mentioned. The indication being that there was another type of revelation given to Rasulullah sallallahu in which they were told to face Masjid al-Aqsa and now they were instructed to face Masjid al-Haram. So the verse itself gives an indication that the, another type of revelation and wahi does exist, which we term the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu So 
this person was basically the founder who uh, propagated this ideology of the Quran being sufficient. And it, it's not sufficient, actually. If you take the entire Quran, you will not be able to establish how to perform two rakats of salah. So the essential, the essential injunction is given, aqimus salah, to perform salah. But how to perform salah is taught by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. give the zakah and discharge your zakah. How to discharge zakah is taught by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So this was the period from 160 to 220. And there were many reasons. The reasons would be Ghulu in reason and rationale. Ghulu is an Arabic word. Ghulu means to go overboard. And this is a sickness we have in our, our time also. Sometimes a person wants to express his view in something, but he goes overboard in doing so. So somebody is doing something different to what I'm not accustomed to. My duty is to say, okay, this is how I understand it, this is how I see it, and this is my view. Bas. He's not comfortable. I I'm not obliged to force my view down his throat. And... Uh, nor is he uh, responsible to force his view down my throat, especially in matters of sec secondary nature in, in, in deen. So they had a ghulu exaggeration in giving preference to the intellect over the text of the Qur'an, and they felt, okay, if it doesn't make sense to us, we don't need anything else, this is how we understand the verse. So for example, a person would look at the Qur'an and say, أَقِمِ الصَّلَاةَ لِذِكْرِ Establish salah for my dhikr. So somebody could now come and say, okay, if the objective of salah is to make dhikr, then why must I still make wudu and make a and then come to the masjid and it's cold and make salah and I just sit at home and make dhikr? So the only way he can get out of this conundrum is if he understands the explanation of this verse has been demonstrated by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So to exaggerate and go overboard in anything is what results in misunderstandings. And uh, this is what we call hedonism, in which a person is unrestricted. You know, he just got a, he's got the verse in front of him, and he feels, like you find people today, they, they would say that um, uh, a person of the same gender marrying the person of the same gender, they say the Quran doesn't say anything about that. Whereas we know that there are clear verses of the nation of Sayyidina Lut, السلام, in which the adab was described in great detail for this type of, um, uh, type of activity. And um, they would look at verses and say, no, 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 this verse actually is referring to um, if it's done under duress or by force or, you know, it's, if it's done mutually and happily, then it doesn't apply. We have people who, who use, who try to misinterpret the verses of the Qur'an in that particular way. So this is what happens. Uh, you see, the Qur'an, when it was given to us in Surah Al-Qiyamah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa do not hasten in its recitation. Inna alayna jam'ahu wa Qur'ana. It is our responsibility to protect the words of the Qur'an, فَإِذَا قَرَأْنَاهُ And when, you, when, when it is recited to you via Jibreel alayhi salam, then فَاتَّبِعْ Qur'ana Follow its recitation. So the recitation, the words are also specific. You can only read those words as Qur'an. ثُمَّ إِنَّ عَلَيْنَا بَيَانَةً And the meaning is also given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we were not given the Qur'an and left to our own devices. You decide what, what it means and you find your own way. No, we were given the explanation by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi Without which we'll be, we, will, we will actually fall prey to this type of hedonism in which a person just feels free to do as he or she feels fit. If you do not have any interpretation from the Rasulullah sallallahu then basically that is what will happen. It will be a free for all. And this is what Allah says, يُضِلُّ بِهِ كَثِيرًا وَيَهْدِي بِهِ كَثِيرًا Via the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can lead people astray and He can give them guidance as well. And this is one of the stepping stones to sidestep the Sahaba. Because you see, now I've got the Qur'an, why do I need the Sahaba? 
But our answer to that is who told you that the Quran is the Quran? It was the Sahaba who told you the Quran was Quran because you cannot establish the authenticity of the Quran without Sahaba. So therefore the meaning of the Quran you cannot establish also without the Sahaba. So in fact this particular group, the Mu'tazila, is the, the root of uh, the, the, the sect of the Shia because many of the Aqidah and the Creed uh, corresponds with the Mu'tazila in which they give preference to intellect over, over the textual proofs of Sharia. Uh, it's just some verses of the, Quran, of the hadith. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Ala inni utitu al-kitaba wa mithlahu ma'ahu. Indeed, I, that is Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, have been given the Quran and it's like. In other words, besides the words of the Quran, there's something else that has been given to me, which is the commentary and the explanation of the Quran, which we call hadith. There's another hadith Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, the translation is there, La ulfiyanna ahadakum. Let me not find one of you reclining on his couch. And this is actually um, a prediction of Rasulullah that a time will come where people will be reclining on their couches. And when somebody says that Rasulullah said, oh, he has commanded or forbidden such and such a thing, they say, oh, no, no, we don't know. We, what we find in Allah's book, that is what we follow. We just look in the Quran, that is enough for us. And Nabi Sallallahu hadith is in Abu Dawood. He says, people like that will come before Qiyamah. Then we have a verse of the Qur'an, ayat of the Qur'an, refuting the claims of this group or this ideology that feels that the Qur'an is totally independent and can be done, understood without the hadith. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, uh, O believers, Allah wa Rasul. Obey Allah and obey the Messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's another verse which has the same meaning. I'm just going to rush quickly through. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives a stern warning for those who, who, who ignore the message and the command of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that a painful uh, adab will be inflicted upon them. And yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, whatever he utters, ma he does not speak out of his whim and desire. Whatever he is given is via revelation to him by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, there's, there's not much time to go into all of this. Basically, uh, the one verse I did uh, touch on the ayah of the Qibla uh, in Surah Al-Baqarah, the verse indicates to a type of revelation in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instructed Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to face other than Masjid al-Haram initially and these verses now abrogated that particular injunction so that is proof that there was another type of revelation and how, how can you know the particulars of Salah, Hajj and Zakah without the details of the teachings of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam so therefore the preservation of the Quran in fact is preservation of a hadith the Quran cannot be understood without the hadith of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has undertaken to protect the Quran in this particular verse, inna nahnu nazzalna dhikra wa inna lahu lahafidhun, that we will protect it, which means its meanings and the words as well. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned the verses which are recited of Surah Qiyamah. And uh, this is where we will conclude today's lesson, inshallah. Next week we will continue with regards to a very important part of the lesson which we indicated to in the opening lesson and that is the compilation of Sayyidina Abu Bakr, the compilation of Sayyidina Uthman, what is the difference between the two compilations of the, of, in the periods of the Sahaba's time and uh, so this is the initial stages of how the Quran was, was put together in its, in its, in its form and uh, sometimes questions which could, which could arise with regards to these topics. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the full understanding and the ability inshallah to Make the recitation of the Qur'an and the knowledge of Qur'an part of our daily routine, inshallah, and make the Qur'an uh, an intercessor in our favor on the day of Qiyamah. Wa akhiru da'wana, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.